I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Well, usually when I say I feel 106, I, I mean the age. But anyway, good afternoon. Jack Riccardi on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Welcome to our dreadful little show for Wednesday. Uh, and I promise you that I will not be one of the endless parade of commentators and hosts who have no idea what they're talking about and attempt to explain the indictments. I, I, I you know, we, we're going to have some people on who can do that. Uh, but I, I'll admit, you know, and I'll, I'll let the secret out of the the secret cat out of the bag. Uh, talk show hosts, we generally haven't gone to law school. Um, one thing I was thinking about since yesterday was um, that the essential element of the indictments against Trump yesterday was that he was lying about the 2020 election. Um, essential to many of the counts, if not most of them, is that he made false statements about the outcome about the credibility of it um and th- that is very 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 serious capital s serious in the opinion of special counsel jack smith that is certainly an interesting concept when we look at all the politicians from really famous ones like hillary clinton and stacy abrams all the way down to uh, people that gaslight and conspiracy theorize about uh, what happened to them and the prejudice against them and the stealing of their votes and the and the and the fact that you know it, there, you, we have politicians who not only believe they won elections uh, but who believe that the voters conspired against them. So if if this is a presidential case, not presidential but presidential, then are we going to now prosecute? elected officials or failed candidates who express doubt about the elections? Well, obviously we're not. And as you heard one of our experts say in the last day or two, there is a First Amendment right to say what you think, even if what you think isn't supported by the facts. Sometimes opinions are just opinions. I'm pretty sure that what they're trying to apply to Trump in terms of the laws, have never been applied in the fashion they're being applied to here. And and that's why, since we're talking about theories, that's why I, I really find myself wondering if they weren't holding on to this, knew they had it, and decided to time it at the moment that, um, you know, the, the the news cycle was really warming up about Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. The um, indictments yesterday say in part, from on or about November November 14th, 2020, through on or about January 20th, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit. Very repetitive. You defrauded us with fraud. Uh, Dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. So in talking about 
in expressing uh, doubts about the process. He was a threat to the process. Well, what are we supposed to do if we think an election has been fraudulently conducted? What are we supposed to do if we think, if we suspect that it's not all on the up and up? And and we may be saying that because we're just, you know, bum hurt about the results. But but it's conceivable that an American citizen would say those things because he or she saw some smoke and thinks there's fire, heard some things, can't reconcile the results with uh, the expectations. I mean, are we supposed, is this a way of saying to all of us that in future elections, no matter how shocked you are, no matter how unbelievable or incredible the outcome is, you can't talk about it. You can't say anything about it. And does that apply to all of us? So, does that mean, like, we, the, we on this show, the day after the next election, people can't call and go, I, I, I can't believe so-and-so won or so-and-so lost? Or does it only apply to powerful people, people in positions of authority like Donald Trump? That, that might be their comeback. In which case they would say, well, then, um, what, what about the powerful people who told us that George W. Bush didn't really win in 2000 and 2004? who refused to certify those elections, sitting members of the Congress. Or Stacey Abrams, or numerous other people who've claimed racism, sexism, etc., etc., as the reasons for their uh, undeserved uh, defeats. The indictment says the defendant, his co-conspirators, and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the 2020 presidential election. See, what I don't like about this is it sounds like elections are this sacrosanct um, ritual or sacrament of the Democratic Church that mustn't be questioned. In fact, they must be questioned. The healthiest thing we could possibly do is remain skeptical about government and everything uh, that it does. We've known all along that the purpose of indicting Trump and before that impeaching Trump was to kill his political viability, to kill him as a future president. And um, I didn't realize this till last night, but the charges now made against Trump actually have death penalty implications. Literal death penalty implications. Um, in the uh, count conspiracy against rights, they are indicting him under the Enforcement Act of 1870, which was an act passed during Reconstruction after the Civil War, which was aimed at Klansmen who physically prevented black men from exercising the right to vote, freed black men from exercising the right to vote. And it said that if two or more of them conspired in this way, and if anyone's death resulted, they could face the death penalty. The the range of punishment went up to and included death. So people have pointed out there has been a death 
that resulted from all of this. Ashley Babbitt died at the Capitol. And remember that Democrats are claiming Trump is to blame for the unrelated deaths of other protesters and the Capitol police officers who either passed away or took their own lives after January 6th. So it's a, it's a stretch, but they're actually now charging him with a crime that carries the possibility of the death penalty. That is quite a leap to go from we've never indicted a president to we're indicting a president on a crime that carries the death penalty. By the way, Cash Patel, uh, who formerly worked in the Trump administration, uh, said in an interview uh, on just the news that there is no way uh, these cases uh, can be tried before the election. So they're going to have to plan on trials all through the remainder of the election cycle and after it, which, you know, obviously could be really interesting. So we'll talk about that today. Um, I found it kind of interesting when I read that uh, apparently Hunter Biden told Devin Archer to buy a burner phone when they started doing business with Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. This is in a... uh, an email, so it's not a hearsay thing. He tells Devin Archer to buy a burner phone. Say, go to a. He says, buy a cell phone from a Seven Eleven or CVS tomorrow. I'll do the same. I read a lot of spy novels, and uh, spies and undercover people are always buying burner phones. Terrorists are always buying burner phones. Buying burner phones doesn't seem like something legit businessmen would be doing. I understand it's not a crime, but it, it really it really doesn't look like anything other than you're up to something so sleazy and so iffy that you're acting like uh, terrorists, like drug dealers, uh, like you're, uh, you know, undercover operatives. And you got to admit, these guys are kind of losers. So they probably got off a little bit on all the subterfuge and the code and the big guy and the cryptic text messages. Like, I'm sure they were very uh, jazzed about having to get burner phones. That felt very James Bondish, And these are not James Bond people, obviously. The, um, the idea of, of buying a burner phone, unless you are doing something illegal, illicit, shameful am i missing something would there be another could there be another reason for that i guess the other reason for that would be that you know you're being watched but that goes back to the you're you're probably doing something you shouldn't be doing um why isn't if this is all legitimate why isn't the uh you know team biden why aren't they just explaining it I, I get that they didn't want to, and, and people can say, well, I shouldn't have to. But if it's legit, you know, and they're telling us that, right? We're just talking about the weather. Um, then just, you know, make some make some flow charts, make some graphs, put people out on the... I mean, the networks will gobble up these interviews. CNN and MSNBC will turn over their airwaves. You can have as many hours of programming as you want. I, I know Joe Biden can't explain it. But I mean, they could they could send their people out and go. Well, here we, we yeah we were we were ta- we were uh, taking in money, and we were doing business, and here's what it was, and here's how much it was. But it's legal. 
We knew what we were doing, and we stayed within. We stayed just this side of the line of the law. Why not do that? Why are you using burner phones if you didn't do anything wrong? And I, you know, I'm not hearing anybody else say this, so I'm just going to say it. Stop blaming alcoholism and drug addiction. I know people that are in recovery, and they're honorable people. And part of their recovery is that they are living lives of accountability, meaning they are purposely uh, staying in touch with and staying accountable to either family members or friends who know what they're going through. And the idea is, hey, I want you to check in with me and check me, and um, I have to own all my actions. Like part of part of the AA steps is that you you own what you've done and what you do. You don't blame it on the bottle. It's very important to stop doing that or you won't ever get off the bottle. So these supposed addiction experts who are really just political hacks in the Democratic Party who keep bringing up alcoholism and drug addiction and Hunter was going through it and the entire family was going through it, it it's, it's screwy. It, 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 it displays not only an, a lack of understanding of addiction, but a lack of respect for people who are going through and walking that walk. And I, and I, and I have the highest respect for you and love for you if you were going through that. And I think it's tawdry to use you and use your real struggle as some sort of fig leaf for this guy. This family is dysfunctional. I mean, the only thing they really do well is rake in the money. And they're they're the best at that. Remember, Hunter says in one of their conversations, nobody does this better than us. But that's the only thing they're really a family unit about is the money. And Hunter grew up watching a deceitful, sneaky father. A man who has lied for 50 years about the car accident that took the life of his first wife and daughter. A man that arranged a photo op in the hospital. A man that has lied about his own life and biography needlessly. I mean, long after he attained high office, he was telling stories that were provably untrue about his academic life, his private life, his childhood. And and Hunter grew up watching all this. And I'm not making excuses for him because I just said we shouldn't, but maybe it rubs off on the kids to see the father weaving and inventing and getting away with it and being rewarded for it. The surest sign that this is getting serious is how hard the the Biden defenders are working on this. Only recently have they even tried to justify Hunter and Burisma and the money, and we're going to talk about that, and I want to get your thoughts on it, 210-599-5555. Plus, we'll talk about the Trump indictments. He's going to be uh, making his court appearance tomorrow afternoon, uh, I think right around this time. So... On the Trump indictments, it just it begs the question, um, what are we allowed to say when we think an election was crap, when we think the process, the vote counting, the ballot rules, the um, waiving of, of legal procedures and protocols, vote harvesting, all the chicanery of the Zuck Bucks, when, when we see that and we see it with our own eyes, is talking about that criminal? 
Well, no, Jack, because you're just a regular per. But if if a if a president, if a person of authority, but wait a minute, we need people in authority to call this stuff out. Otherwise, it, 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 they get away with it. I think that's a very serious sort of has nothing to do with Trump ramification of what's going on. And and you can see where this is going when you listen to the historians that are being brought on to the liberal networks. Michael Beschloss is a guy, I've read a lot of his books. I have a lot of admiration for his his past work on American history. Um, great on like the Kennedys and the Johnsons and stuff like that. But here he is on MSNBC comparing Trump to the worst moments in American history. Listen to this, cut number six. I think the last 12 hours fit perfectly into the American story, and that is this. From time to time, America faces threats from monsters who want to destroy our democracy. That happened in 1861 with the Confederacy. Abraham Lincoln and, you know, northern soldiers and northern voters came to our rescue, saved the Union. The same thing happened tonight. Hold on, hold on. Did, Did Trump have any of the states secede? I don't think so, right? Was Trump pulling over carloads of Biden voters and gunning them down on the side of the road or, or, or flipping their car over a cliff? No. Was he physically preventing people from voting against him or voting any way they wanted? No. He's being, he's being prosecuted on a law that was intended for Klansmen who were lynching black voters in 1860s and 1870s southern states. All right, continue with Michael Beschloss. The same thing happened in 1933, almost at the last minute. Franklin Roosevelt came to power, saved our economic system. Mm. Pearl Harbor, 1941, Mm. we were bombed. Our system was very much in danger, our democracy. Many people were giving it up and saying that, you know, the, the democracy had seen its last days. Franklin Roosevelt helped to put a coalition together at the last minute to save Mm. democracy and freedom around the world. Mm. 9-11, 2001, Mm. Osama bin Laden and other terrorists hated our democracy, tried to destroy it. You see where I'm going. So, yeah, I see where you're going. So he's, Trump is, Trump has bin Laden, Hitler, the Depression, uh, Jefferson Davis. I mean, it's it's incredible. He's, uh, where does he find the energy? He does all this on diet, you know, on Diet Coke and Big Macs. Um, look, it's, it's, it's fun and games to be able to cite all of this history, but you know what I noticed? Everything he mentioned, the threat to democracy came from the politicians, not the people. It was during the Civil War. It was um, Reconstruction. It was during World War I under Woodrow Wilson, it was the New Deal in the 1930s that were threats to democracy because one man, one vote, government of the people, by the people, for the people, due process, the need for temporary dictatorial powers, that was all justified. And then after 9-11, we got the Patriot Act. I'm sorry, but he's got this backwards. All the things he cited were tests for democracy because the people in power didn't trust democracy. They they thought we needed to override democracy. Like Roosevelt gets a lot of plaudits and accolades, and rightly so, 
But Roosevelt attempted to become the economic dictator of the United States. That's a fact. And the thing that prevented him from doing that was not the Republicans, but the Supreme Court, which is why he tried to pack the court. And that was finally the thing on which he overreached. But if you go back and you can find people who were alive in the era of Roosevelt, there's not many of them left, if they hated him, they'll tell you this is why they hated him, because they thought he was a dictator. He wasn't saving us from dictators. He was threatening to become one. And I'm not saying this to run him down. I think he deserves his place in the, in the pantheon, as I think Lincoln does. I don't really understand the admiration for Woodrow Wilson. He was a racist. He lied us into World War I, but whatever. I mean, the, the, the things that Beschloss is, are, you know, the things he's citing are actually not making the point he's trying to make. The point is that if we, the people, and Donald Trump is an American citizen, see something happening or potentially happening to our democracy, we have the right to call it out. Now, maybe Trump was all wet. Maybe Trump was a sore loser. Maybe Trump lost that thing through his own doing and not through ballot counting and electronic machines. But, but the point is you have the right to say it. We're strong enough to endure you saying it. And if you don't like people thinking that elections are stolen, then stop conducting them like they were the, your own personal project. Stop changing the rules in midstream. Start being open and honest with people. Start showing us the receipts. And then a lot of us will stop doubting even results we don't like. But you're not doing that. You're, you're doing the opposite of that. Congressman Dan Goldman, uh, he had to keep coming out during the Devin Archer testimony. And this guy was singing and dancing like Fred Astaire. I mean, I, I don't think he's that good at it. But admittedly, he, he doesn't have a lot to work with. Listen to Dan Goldman uh, trying to uh, spin the I just called to say hi during your business meeting angle, cut number seven. Doesn't that contradict the president's statements saying that he never talked to any of Hunter Biden business associates? Clearly he talked, whether or not the weather or whatever, but he said specifically that he's never talked to them. Doesn't this contradict him? I, I don't know what his comment is, and if we're going to, well, I don't, I don't think that's what he said. He never said that he yes, has he never spoken to anyone. Exactly he, said he said that he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. If he says no. hello to someone that he sees his son with, well, is he supposed to say, hi, son? Oh, no, I'm not going to say hello to the other people at the table or the other people on the phone. It's kind of a preposterous premise to think that a father should not say hello to people that the son are at dinner with. The son is at dinner with, and that is literally all the evidence is. Mm. Let's bring in uh, St. Mary's University professor of law, Bill Pyatt, on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Professor, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jack. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the indictments, um, I mean, it, it sort of seems to me like if you were describing to your one of your classes, a hypothetical case of um, influence peddling, you would not have a situation where everybody would be saying everything out loud. A lot of it would be indirect. So putting Joe Biden on speakerphone, showing that you have him on speed dial, showing that you can get him anytime, 
You talk to him all the time. You've probably, before you dialed him, you've told your lunchmates that, oh, we talk every day. Those are all indirect but obviously pointed ways of saying, I can get you access to him. I mean, there doesn't have to be a canceled check with bribe in the memo line to see where this is going. You're right. Uh, that would be circumstantial evidence. Um, and the irony is that that's pretty much what the indictment against President Trump is relying on. Uh, no direct order to commit any crime, but rather a discussion of President Trump's belief that the election was stolen. Uh, and going back to the Hunter Biden matter, uh, yeah, I don't think anybody at that level of sophistication and intelligence would say, let's discuss bribing the federal government. So, right, any case against Hunter Biden would, would be built on circumstantial evidence. Um, so on the uh, indictments against um, Trump, it, it sounds like one of the main foundations of all this is the way he spoke and may have spoken inaccurately or dishonestly about the conduct of and the results of the 2020 election. What does that say for our ability as citizens to express doubt and skepticism about elections? Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's a frightening message. Uh, and not only is it a frightening message about whether we can respond and challenge an election, but who is it that's going to get in trouble for saying that? I think, as you pointed out, uh, Stacey Abrams, Hillary Clinton, a number of people seem to insist that they had won the election. Uh, following the election of Donald Trump, there was any number of people that were accusing him of being a member of a Russian conspiracy, which was no evidence for that. To, turned out to be totally false. I think we have to go back to, to taking a look at what an indictment actually means. If, this case ever, if, if these cases ever go to trial, one of the first things that the jury is going to be instructed is that an indictment is not evidence and it doesn't prove anything. And the other thing the jury is going to be told right off the bat is the defendants are presumed innocent unless and until the government proves the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I listened to the, to the prosecutor in his discussion after the charge, after the indictment was filed, and it was very disturbing. Because it looks like a, an effort to deny Donald Trump due process, to taint the jury pool. The prosecutor did near the end make a mention of this presumption of innocence, but he inaccurately said that the defendant is innocent until proven guilty, suggesting that there's a point in time that we all know Donald Trump is going to be proven guilty. And it's this unless that he left out. So. Mm. There's a number of troubling aspects of this case. The First Amendment issues being an incredibly important one. When you read the indictment, mm -hmm. a number of things are just statements of Trump that probably are not true, but that's not a crime to say things that are not true. Well, it's, and, it's and, and so to that point, to that point, um, I, I, let, me, let me play devil's advocate. Are they going to say, okay, you, you uh, regular folk can still... <laughs> can still call your talk shows and, and, and debate the validity uh, of an election, but he had a special responsibility, and this isn't about the First Amendment. This is about making statements that could interfere with the carrying out of uh, other people's duties, et cetera, et cetera. Mike Pence is saying uh, that, and, and he's the presiding officer of the Senate, he's saying that 
Trump in meetings, tried to intimidate him into not accepting uh, the Electoral College results. So is it different? I mean, I know you still have First Amendment rights if you're the president, but are they going to make the case that it's different? I think they'd make a, it would be hard for them to make that case. The Constitution talks about equal protection and wouldn't seem to allow differing standards of right to express oneself depending on the the power, the influence, the ranking of the person. You know, by that test, then the major newspapers would be held to a very strict standard because they have a tremendous amount of influence. Um, I, I think that part of the problem is that this is obviously timed to cause a disruption in uh Trump's opportunity to campaign for the presidency. We see that when we see that the prosecutor is going to try to have these trials scheduled before the election. And I don't think there's any realistic way that can happen. Uh, I'm sure that the Trump defense team is going to be raising a number of procedural aspects. I'm sure they're going to challenge the indictment. I'm sure there's going to be things that are going to have to go up on an interlocutory appeal in between the district court and the higher courts before the cases can proceed. And one basic due process right you have is the right to defend yourself. And that means the right to prepare, to conduct interviews, to conduct legal research, to make whatever motions are appropriate. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, um, I understand he has teams of lawyers. He probably has a team for each one of these um, indictment groupings. But isn't his due process right to prepare uh, severely tested by the quantity of cases in a compressed amount of time and the fact that they're in different parts of the country? If it was scheduled, if the trial was scheduled for next month or 70 days from now, yes. Uh, if these cases follow the usual path and it would take more than just a year to get these cases to trial, he, he wouldn't be able to show his due process rights were being interfered with on, mm-hmm. on the of having to uh, give up time for preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it raises a number of constitutional issues about whether or not he can hold office, suppose he were to be elected, and then he's convicted, or he was convicted and then he was elected. And I think it does raise some specter about whether or not the prosecutor is acting on behalf of a political agenda or whether the prosecutor is doing what prosecutors are supposed to do. And that is they're not charged with prosecuting people. They are charged with doing justice. And justice involves more than just the defendant. It involves all of us. And so we have a collective interest in seeing that whatever is going on in the federal courts with the federal prosecutors, that it reflects the constitutional standards of presumption of innocence, due process rights. We might all disagree with President Trump's conclusion that he had the election stolen from him. But I would hope we would all agree that anybody charged with a crime has the right to defend themselves, has the presumption of innocence, and doesn't have to be put in a situation where they don't have time to prepare a defense. One more question quickly for you, Professor. Um, we now brand everything in the, in the federal system as Democratic justice or Republican justice. What is the point of having a special counsel or an independent counsel, uh, if if most people think that Jack Smith is really doing what Merrick Garland wants him to do, uh, and 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 by the way, if it was the other way around, Democrats would say that a independent counsel appointed under a Republican Attorney General would just be doing Trump's bidding. We're, we're, how do we get out of that, or do we get out of that? 
Well, there are special prosecutors and then there's special prosecutors. Uh, if you have a, a quote special prosecutor who is still acting under the direction of the Attorney General of the United States, it's not completely independent. And on the other hand, you have prosecutions theoretically against Hunter Biden that aren't even being attempted to to mask anything with the a fiction of a special prosecutor. So it raises some real issues about this disparate treatment of folks under the under the no. rules and whether or not we really have an independent counsel that doesn't have to answer immediately to to the attorney general. Well, I guess my point, though, <clears throat> isn't this supposed to prevent the perception that it is uh, a member of the ruling regime doing the investigating and the indicting? And yet that's the perception we now have all the time. Yes. Yes, we do. And we do in part because we don't even have a nominal special prosecutor named on the Hunter Biden issue. It's just attorney. Yeah, I mean, if there was one named, people would be like, oh, well, we know who whoever that is, obviously, is is going to be, you know, answerable to or or loyal to. I I just I I don't know. I don't even hear people calling for that, frankly. Do you? I I haven't heard anybody say to me, hey, why isn't there a special counsel for, for Hunter? Because we've given up on the idea that that is special. Well, I think that that could be the truth. Uh, I think, though, that even even naming a special prosecutor makes it look a little more like there is an equal treatment uh, under the law that uh, the Trump situation is being handled by a special prosecutor. The Biden situation would be handled by Mm -hmm. a special prosecutor, because otherwise we're left with this, at least this appearance that a candidate for president of the United States is being prosecuted indirectly by the person who now holds that office. Bill Pyatt at St. Mary's University School of Law. Professor, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Talking about uh, the um, Trump indictment or indictments. And I don't know, where are you on the whole January 6th? You know, is it what we've been told? An insurrection attempt by Trump supporters egged on by Trump? Or are you in the, it was a setup it was a false flag, you know, people look at this Ray Epps guy, they look at all the federal agent infiltrators. I, I will say this, I, my jury is out on, on whether or not it was a setup, but I certainly see how people could think that, simply because way before January 6th happened, people like Joe Biden on down were saying, Donald Trump must be stopped, Donald Trump must be held accountable. So they were saying, we have to stop him. And over the last several years, we've heard a number of people say out loud that you could justify anything. You could justify overriding the law, overriding the Constitution, because Trump was such a threat, he was so dangerous that that it was okay to do those things. You could give yourself permission to do what you're not supposed to do in our system because he's so dangerous. It's mission impossible. We're off the grid. And J6 so clearly fits the bill. It, it's so perfect. It's so um, useful to the carrying out of that promise, he must be stopped, that if it hadn't happened, you'd almost say, well, they'd have to invent it. It, 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 how do you live without it? 
if you're if you're if you're the anti-Trump camp, you you need it. So again, I'm not saying I know. I don't have evidence. I haven't seen evidence, and don't send me evidence. I, I, I'm sick to death of hearing about it. But my point is, um, it's credible to me in the way that they're using it now that they might not have wanted to wait and see if something like that would happen. I think it is certainly possible that they made it happen so that they would have it to use. These indictments don't work without January 6th. Do you remember when uh, when Trump was president, uh, how we had all those, um, uh, all, just all, all that BS where people would say, uh, their 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 toddlers were afraid that Trump was going to deport them, and their kids were afraid to speak Spanish because Trump would deport them, and there was all this um, Trump has scared my children, and my kids are afraid of Trump. And the remember they would talk about we're in the age of Trump, we're in the air when anything bad would happen, anything tragic or. Uh, or or uh, horrible would happen. Well, it's the era of Trump. It's in it's in this climate that Trump has created. And it's funny now when things ha- terrible things happen, and of course they still do. I, I don't hear the, the 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 climate of Biden and the age of Biden because that that's nonsense. Do you know who Amy McGrath is? Amy McGrath is a Democratic politician from Kentucky. Uh, and I think she ran against either Mitch McConnell or, or Rand Paul. She she ran in one of those races. Um, she tweeted out uh, on Monday night, my seven-year-old daughter today, Mom, I don't get why all the presidents were all boys, no girls. Why is that? And Amy McGrath wrote, where do I begin? Says her seven-year-old daughter wants to know why we haven't had any girl presidents. Now, setting aside the question of why we haven't had any girl presidents, do you believe that a seven-year-old asked that question? I, I remember when my daughter was of that age, when they have a lot of questions, you know. And if you answer it, it's, it's dangerous to answer the questions at that age because it leads to more questions. So if you actually can answer the question, why is the sky blue, or where does the moon go during the day? You're not done. You're, you're going to be asked more questions. Because they think we know everything. And it's funny how we go from knowing everything, and a few years later we know nothing. Back to the seven-year-old. Mom, I don't get why all the presidents were all boys. No girls at all! Exclamation point. Why is that? I don't, I don't, I'm going to call BS on this. I don't, I don't think her daughter asked that question. Why do we have to hide behind our children? Why can't we just be adults and go, let's have a conversation about why there's been 46 presidents and they've all been men? Why are we, why is it important to couch that or put those words in the mouth of a child? You know why? Because then no one will do what I'm doing right now, which is question the question. People hide behind their children. Now, as to the answer, well, I would if the seven-year-old really asked that question, you would have to explain to the seven-year-old, there once was a lady named, well, first you could say, you could say, um, what is a girl? Uh, or why are you assuming other people's genders? 
Go stand in the corner. How dare you? That's probably the right thing to do. If your seven-year-old asks that question, um, they are uh, they're gender criminals. But if you wanted to have that discussion, maybe at bedtime, um, you could tell the story of a lady named Hillary Clinton who long time ago was a crook and um, told a lot of lies and uh, deleted evidence and erased an email server and smashed a phone and did uh, did things with evidence that was under subpoena. Uh, and before that, even further back, way, way back, this woman said mean, horrible, untrue things about all the women her husband had grabbed and groped and wrestled with or raped. It may not want to use that word because then you have to explain what that is. And she basically rescued this scumbag who then rewarded her loyalty after they made it to the White House by cheating on her with an intern. So if you really are asking the question or entertaining the question, there is an answer. We'd already have a woman president. But they ran Hillary Clinton. And right now they're trying to run Kamala Harris. So my answer would be, we'll have women presidents when we have better women put up for office. These aren't good examples. These aren't good trailblazers. These aren't people you'd, you'd want to make the first. These aren't people that would inspire voters to cross over. But I, to get back to the setup, do you believe when people when people put this stuff up, my, my five-year-old wants to know why you won't wear a mask. My seven-year-old wants to know why we haven't had a woman president. My, my eight-year-old wants to know why there are so many guns. I mean, no, no, stop that. Stop using your kids because you don't want to stand and give voice to your own argument. It's like a bad meme. You know, like it worked at first. Maybe we believed the first couple of people that did it. Should I respond to Amy McGrath by saying that um, I, I know an eight-year-old who wants to know why Amy McGrath is a liar? Should I, should I tweet that out? Maybe I don't know. I mean, just saying, would that be a good way to respond? Would she get it? Maybe if we did it that way. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, Talk some more about the indictments and the uh, the Hunter investigation. I, I'm surprised more people didn't seize on this uh, yesterday. In, in the in the um, material that came out from Devin Archer, uh, there's a an, a an email thread. This was like ten years ago. They were exchanging emails, and he's bragging to Archer about his relationship with this Chinese mogul named Shea Feng, who's the super chairman. That's his. Uh, nickname so he's one of the biggies that they're dealing with at rosemont seneca and um he's he's bragging about how how great the relationship is and how it's going to be great to do business with him this is going to mean a lot of money and uh he uh 
he really, really likes me. And he's telling Devin Archer why Feng favors him uh, so much. And he writes, it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with my last name. And then in parentheses, and I bring along very handsome Aryan godlike men wherever I go. He writes. So, so um, it's, it's my name is the single most truthful thing Hunter Biden's ever said in his life. And the godlike Aryan men, boy, I, we're, we're losing our touch here in the cancel culture because I, I would have thought at one time that if you mentioned godlike Aryan men, it, you were so over, you were so done. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the worst thing to be right now. Aryan is not where it's at. That's not a compliment, and it wasn't in 2011 either. So, I don't know, it just seemed funny to me that, that there, I guess there's so much sleaze here that it's just getting past us. We can't, you know, we can't keep up with it or, or capture it all. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's what he wrote in 2011. I, it's, it's not only uh, me, it has everything to do with my last name, and I bring along very handsome Aryan godlike men wherever I go. There's also a little bit of a homoerotic um, tinge to that, which I'll leave to others. Um, so when we last talked to retired Judge Steve Hilbig, he wasn't even halfway through the uh, indictments of yesterday. Now he's had a chance to see them all. And we said, come on back and tell us if uh, reading the whole thing uh, bedtime reading uh, makes any difference. And Judge, welcome back on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Uh, your your perception yesterday that there was a lot of stretching, it, it, was that changed at all by by completing it? No, not at all. It, it uh, I mean, frankly, it there's just so much information they tried to cram in there uh, that, that at times it was just hard to, to keep reading it. And, and I know that you had the professor on earlier and, you know, talked about how the first thing the jury's going to hear is that, you know, the indictment is no evidence of guilt. But as we explained before, generally speaking, in a federal case, the indictment goes back with the with the uh, jury during their deliberations. So the, you know, the prosecutor threw a lot of stuff in there that hopefully they think that the jury will continue to review as they are you know, deciding uh, someone's guilt or, uh, you know, Trump's guilt in this case. So, no, it, you know, I just kind of got the sense after reading everything that Trump reacted to uh, the election as a businessman would in that he comes up and says, well, now, wait a second. I've heard that there are some problems. Go out and investigate and see if we got those problems. And so some people came back and said, well, we haven't found anything. Uh, and so the government says, well, then that's proof that when Trump repeated the statements on January 6th, that he knew he was lying and therefore, you know, he should be found guilty because he told lies. Uh, and I, I again, I just think that's a hard uh, case to prove, but of course, as we said yesterday, it, it is going to be in Washington, D.C. jury, so who knows? One of the things that uh, Jack Smith asserts is that uh, the federal government, specifically the Department of Homeland Security, which has a branch that does cybersecurity, um, had, had exhaustively investigated 
and found no evidence that any voting systems had been compromised in the 2020 election. Yet, about a year later, there was a federal indictment of a pair of Iranian hackers who successfully hacked into a state computer election system and stole voter data and tried to intimidate, in this case, Republican uh, voters. Uh, and, And these two were charged with that in federal court. Is it dangerous for Jack Smith to categorically assert that there is no evidence, there is no compromising of electronic voting when the defense is going to be able to not only point to a federal indictment, but 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 certainly there are doubts in people's minds about uh, electronic voting. The average person is not as confident about that as Jack Smith seems to be. Well, two things. Number one, the judge does not necessarily have to let in evidence of that other indictment where there was a hack. Uh, the, you know, they, the judge could argue, the prosecutor could argue that it's not relevant to the case at hand because the case at hand is whether or not Donald Trump was telling all these lies. And he should have known that it was a lie because of this national security people said that after, and, I, and I'm, I'm being facetious here, I don't know when that information was told, but I did see it in the indictment. But let's say it was a month after the, uh, after the election that, that you know, we, we've looked diligently for a month. Well, that's not enough time. I mean, no one would, no prosecutor or, or no attorney would say, oh, my gosh, that, that you've done an exhaustive thing and it only taken mm-hmm. you one month to right. do that investigation. Isn't that right. great? And that's the I mean, problem I mean, It's one thing to say, the, we think you ahead. were lying and we think you knew you were lying when you said it. It's something else to say, it's never happened. Yeah, and, you know, which goes back to the indictment that – you know, we think you you knew you were lying, okay? Even if he knew he was lying, and I'm not willing to concede that, I'm still not sure that what they have alleged in this 45-page uh, document would be a crime. It, it, you know, again, they say, well, he, he tried to obfuscate, or excuse me, he tried to obstruct you know, the counting of the votes by the vice president. And he did that in a couple of ways by trying to intimidate, intimidate the vice president into not going along with, with uh, certifying the, the electors that were coming from the different states. Well, okay, but did, did uh, Pence actually do that? No. I mean, everywhere that they talk about, they talk about in here that he was going to replace the acting attorney general uh, with co-conspirator number four, because the uh, acting, the current acting attorney general wouldn't do what he wanted to do. Well, then he also they also relate in the indictment that so they had this big meeting, and after the meeting, the acting, the current acting attorney general said, "If you replace me, uh, you're going to have all kind of resignations uh, at the AG's office." And Trump says, "Okay, I won't do it." Or, or there was a. Uh, national security meeting that he had that same day where they were talking about doing something with regard to a foreign nation. They didn't, they didn't specify what it was, but at the end, you know, they were saying, Hey, don't do this. You know, the the inauguration, excuse me, is coming up. It's only 17 days away. And Trump says, you're right. We'll leave it for the next guy. Well, wait a second. I thought you said that Trump said he wasn't going to leave. I thought that the Mm -hmm. whole thing was Trump wasn't going to leave. And so therefore, You know, he did all these things. And so and there's just a lot of stuff in here that, that doesn't add up. 
We had, after the 2000 election, Judge, uh, members of Congress give speeches on the House floor uh, as part of voting against certifying the uh, vote for George W. Bush over Al Gore, give speeches uh, laying out, describing that the election was stolen, that it was um, stolen in Florida, that it was stolen elsewhere. There were also people that voted against certifying his victory over John Kerry in 2004. Uh, We had Stacey Abrams wanting to be instructing people to introduce her as the real governor of Georgia for a few years after she lost her election. We have Hillary Clinton going around talking about what happened to her. Um, How do we um, square all this? Can we not publicly doubt or discredit election results? Are we not allowed to verbally challenge them? Are we not allowed to call out what, what... where we see smoke and think there might be fire, because that does seem to be an implication of all this, that you, you can't talk about elections. It's, it's sacrilege. Well, I think what the prosecutor would say is that, well, Trump did more than talking about it. He had these people come up with these false slate of electors and submitted them uh, you know, to Congress in an attempt to try to overturn the legitimate election. Well, again, I go back. But nobody acted on it. It just reminds me of mm-hmm. uh, a charge. If somebody is charged with making a false statement to a government agency, it's a different charge. But there's an issue of materiality, and that is, well, okay, you did it, but did it matter? And, and it, nowhere is there an issue of materiality. In other words, there's a legal requirement. You've got to prove mater- materiality under any of these indictments. But to a degree, he did all of it, and nobody went along with him. You know, the mm-hmm. vice president didn't go along with him. I mean, you know, they're, they're saying, in essence, that he kind of put the, counter, uh, the uh, powder keg together for uh, January 6th and then did nothing to stop it. Yet <laughs> they quoted here again his statements after the activities started going into Congress. You know, hey, go home and be peaceful. Let's not do this or things like that. And, and again, it, it's they're going to say he did more than talk, but at the same time – it does come down to uh, I'm not sure that it mattered that he talked. Nobody was harmed by anything that he did. You know, Congress still certified it. Uh, all of the all of the uh, governors and legislatures that he asked to say, well, wait a second, why don't y'all not certify it? Uh, the the current electors and and come back and decide. Y'all decide whether or not these are the true electors. He was doing that in an attempt to slow things down. None of them did it, mm-hmm. and, and so. It, it just there's an old saying that we have in the federal government is like the only two people that can get you for impure thoughts is the Catholic Church and the federal government, and I think that's what they have here. Judge, retired Judge Steve Hilbig, uh, always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for coming on with us today. Well, thank you, Jack, for having me. We had a lot of great response to the MTV conversation uh, yesterday. It was fun to talk about, um, and uh, a couple of people. Few people emailed me about different songs, uh, the, you know, music videos that they remember, and and interestingly enough, a lot of the things people brought up, like uh, Daniel and Laredo brought up uh, Dire Straits, "Money for Nothing," it was a big, big deal on MTV, and we were going back and forth on Messenger, and I said, you know, you couldn't 
they'd be canceled for that song and that video now. You, you couldn't do it. And Sting's on that song, too. Who's more politically correct than Sting, right? I mean, he, like, checks all the lib boxes. But when you think about it, and I'm not, I'm not here to suggest that music videos are high art, like they belong in the Louvre, but, but they are art. Songs are art. Music videos are art. Jason Aldean's song is art. may not be your, to your taste. It's really not to mine, but, but it's, it's art. And here's the thing about art. When an artist depicts something and they choose their words or their images, or if they're a painter, they paint, let's say a painter paints a cloud, now, you can look at his painting and say, that's not what a cloud looks like, or that's a terrible cloud. It doesn't matter. Your, your opinion means nothing, because it's art. He's not teaching people about clouds. He's not a scientist imparting knowledge about clouds. He's an artist. To him, this is a cloud. To Dire Straits, this is the lyric. To this artist, this video is what he or she wanted to say or portray period it's just art so reacting to it the way we now react to the jason aldean song or whoever the next i'm sure we're only hours away from another you know outrage du jour there's no point to any of this because these are artists and this is art and when you uh, are an artist, you can make a cloud look like anything. You can use words any way you want to use them. You can use words in a way that don't... Think of all the lyrics we've looked up over the years. You had a song you really liked, and it's catchy, and it gets in your head, and you're like, I, I, don't, I can't quite hear what they're saying. And you look up the lyrics, and they don't even make any sense. Like, I'm a huge Steely Dan fan. How many songs does Steely Dan have that don't even make any sense? <laughs> it's just words but but it's art and some of us love it and some of us don't and that's what makes it art um i think we are going to look back on the times we're going through right now and say we lived in an impoverished time for creativity but the poverty was self-inflicted it's not that nobody's making art it's not that nobody's writing creating sing it's that we've put so many constraints and guardrails and commandments and the cancel cultures are roaming the streets, you know, the cancel mobs, rather, are roaming the streets of our culture. We've, we've done this to ourselves. No wonder Hollywood only wants to remake things and do the dumbest, simplest, most basic conceptual movies. They're not making great, deep wow, that really made me think movies, or wow, that was really provocative, I can't believe they said that, showed that. What there's, no, there's no point in that. And you listen to comedians, and comedians, are the, are the to me, are the tip of the spear. They're the, the, the edge of the knife of, of creativity. They're the first to go places that eventually others will go, if anyone goes, Right? Comedians are almost universally saying this is these are the worst of times. 
that you can't go in front of young people. You can't perform in front of Gen Z. You can't go to a college campus and just tell your, you know, your offensive jokes. You can't do it. They don't react to it as art. They think you are stating facts about the people you are merely poking fun at. And if you think of all the times you've laughed a good laugh or sang along in the car with a great song that just made you feel good or enjoyed a painting in a museum or something, you were not taking that in like it was textbook learning. You knew that it was somebody's interpretation. That's why we're even able to enjoy art when we disagree with the artist. There's so many, I, there's so many singers whose politics I hate, but I love their music. And I appreciate them for that. I'm grateful to them for that. And maybe they wouldn't like me if they knew me, but I don't even care about that. I really don't, because they brought joy. And um, we, we, we don't know, or we're learning, we're losing the ability to, I, I shouldn't say we don't know how, we're losing the ability to differentiate when it comes to art. And when we do that, we're going to lose art. And when we lose art, we lose beauty. And I don't know why we would do that to ourselves. We're, we're, not, we're not having it taken away from us. We're just doing it to ourselves. 210-599-5555. Yeah, the more, the more people thought about, and I thought about the, the MTV discussion, the more you realize that um, the, the operative word there was freedom. Uh, people were throwing up all kinds of images and illusions and, uh, <laughs> you know, acting out their songs and showing all kinds of, and I mean, some of it was just tacky and weird and crazy and, uh, some of it, you, you'd, some of those videos. I remember as a kid, you'd watch them. You'd look at your brother, like, "What? What the hell? What? What is this about? What does this have to do with the song?" But nonetheless, sometimes it was just amazing because it was art. This is a new. It's it's better if you could see it, but this is a new uh, Coors beer ad. Coors is one of the main brands benefiting from the exodus from Bud Light and Anheuser Busch, but. Listen to how Coors is positioning themselves in the beer wars, cut number three. The same Rocky Mountain water, the same brewing tradition that started 150 years ago in Golden, Colorado. Because when you're a favorite beer of rock stars, smugglers, cowboys, and presidents, you don't compromise. That's our legacy. What do you want to go down in history for? Coors Banquet. Start your legacy. Mm. It's it's interesting to watch everybody else just getting it. And the Bud Light people are still flailing. And um, that's that's been the other byproduct of the boycott of Bud Light, which obviously has become bigger and longer lives than anyone thought it would be. Obviously, it's hurt their sales and their their uh, valuation, but you're watching the other beer companies go, oh, wait a minute, we're a beer company. You know, like, we we need to talk about and be with the people that, you know, we're, we're selling beer here. 
It was an interesting discussion I was I was reading last night. We told you yesterday that um, Fitch Ratings downgraded the U.S. credit rating yesterday, uh, mainly citing uh, the uh, busting through of debt ceilings and the general chaos in this country uh, and its governance. They they downgraded us from AAA to AA uh, plus, and. I made the point, uh, or it was pointed out by a number of people, that that was, in essence, lost in the news cycle over um, indicting Donald Trump so that people like Joe Biden, Janet Yellen, uh, Chairman Powell, and others didn't have to talk about it. But, But also, people have made the point, who cares? Who cares about these ratings, and who cares what they say. Um, But then I heard somebody ask a really good question. Um, Since they are talking about assets and debt, what are, this person asked the question, what are the assets of the United States? So if you're looking at the United States like a set of books, which is what Fitch is doing. What are the assets? I mean, if you had a company, the assets would be maybe the equipment or the buildings or the trucks or, you know, what are the assets of the United States? Is it is it our government? And the answer this guy gave was that you have to look at things like the value of our land, our drilling rights and minerals, our agricultural capabilities, not to mention, obviously, our incredible manufacturing power. Just the manufacturing power of the United States has changed world history in the last hundred years. Ask the Germans and the Japanese, for example. It's interesting when you start thinking about what our assets are and then you look at the way everything that you and I would consider an asset is run down, is is degraded by the people in power. You can't drill for it. You can't mine for it. You can't use it to generate energy. You can't grow crops. You can't use that land. You can't use that water. So if you look at it, again, like a business, the current management team is making the absolute worst utility or use of the assets that you possibly could. You couldn't abuse, misuse, and fail to exploit the assets of this country in, in, a, in a worse way than they're doing. If, if they were trying to, it would look just like it looks today. Which then makes you wonder, are they trying to? I mean, what, what is going on? And we talked about the light bulb thing yesterday. They're talking about, um, you know, water heaters and washing machines. And uh, they've already put the crosshairs on things like central air and heating. 
obviously cars and private car ownership not long for this world if if you know if they get their way if the regulatory regime continues i just um i i think it's a really good question that we need to ask a lot more often what are the assets of the united states what are the things that are that represent value what are on the value side of the ledger and then how are we taking advantage of them or are we taking advantage of them and if the answer is no we really aren't seemingly intentionally we're being stymied at every turn we're we're actually being driven into the arms of foreign asset providers oh no 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 don't use oil and coal use Chinese made solar panels then it begs the question why would that be and again I'm not here to say I've got the proof but that sure does, look, when you look at it that way, that sure looks suspect. Tammy Nelson is a woman in Cincinnati who owns her own business, and she's a mom. She's a mom of three. She has a jewelry business. And a few weeks ago, she got on a flight, a Delta flight, from her hometown of Cincinnati to go to San Jose for business. It was an early flight. She had been up late the night before preparing uh, for her business trip, so she figured she would sleep on the plane. And with that in mind, she had booked a window seat so she could lean up against the, the you know, the window and sleep. Uh, she says, when I arrived at my seat, there was a woman sitting in the seat. And I thought, oh, you know, it's early. Um, I must have looked at my boarding pass wrong. So she checked her boarding pass. And um, it turns out it was her seat. She was not mistaken. This woman was sitting in Tammy's seat. So then I thought she must have just made a mistake, Nelson said. So she says to the lady, I'm sorry, it looks like you're sitting in my seat. And according to Tammy Nelson, the woman said to her, oh, you want to sit here? And I thought that was such an odd question, Tammy says. Yes, that's the seat I selected, I told her. The woman then said, I thought we could switch because my children are sitting in the other two seats in this row. She pointed to the two seats next to her, and there was a boy that looked to be 15 or 16 and a girl that looked like she was maybe 11. I thought that was a weird way to ask me to switch seats, but, you know, I'm a mom, too. I have three kids. I know it's nice to sit by your family. Tammy told the woman she'd be happy to switch with her as long as she was in a window seat. The woman said, oh, yeah, my seat's right there. And then she pointed to the row behind my seat, and it was a middle seat. Nelson again explained she'd be happy to swap for a window seat because she needed some sleep, and also she said she would suffer from motion sickness if she couldn't see out the window. The woman kind of huffed and puffed and got up and made a scene heading back to her seat. So she basically told the woman, I'm sorry, but I want to sit in the seat in which I'm ticketed. She said it wasn't a fight or anything, but she kind of huffed and puffed and made a little scene heading back to her seat. She sat in her correct seat right behind the kids and me. She says she then began to complain loudly to the person next to her about me. I was feeling guilty, Tammy says, because as a mom, I want to sit by my kids too. But when I want to sit by my kids... I plan ahead and select seats together, or pay for them if I have to. This woman just kept wanting to complain. 
in the worst case, you talk to the gate agent before you board to see if they can move you around and get you with your kids. And she says, ultimately, I've sat apart from my kids many times. So what do you think about Tammy Nelson? People are, uh, she's got millions of views on her TikTok, and most people are supporting what she did. It's your seat. You put in the work. You put in the time. It, it's very, it, when I say work, it's, it's, it's a piece of cake online. But you selected the seat. You had your reasons. Like, I do everything the same way Tammy did, except I always like an aisle seat. I love aisle seats. And I, I book it in advance, and I pre-select, and I lock in that aisle seat, and I, I will trade with people. But I, I'm, I'm like her, I'll trade for the same kind of seat. I want another aisle seat. I'll sit in a different row, but I want an aisle seat. Because I'm uncomfortable in the middle seat, and I'm cramped in the window seat. Okay. So most people said, yeah, Tammy, you're, you were okay, you're cool, you did the right thing. There were people that said, how could you, you of all people, you're a mother, didn't you have any sympathy? Don't you realize? Well, she says that she did. She got it. She says, I, I was going to switch. See, I, 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 feel like we've, I feel like we're losing our minds here. This, this is so obvious. 210-599-5555. This is so obvious. If you want to trade seats with people, by all means. I'm not saying it's wrong to do so. But you're not obligated to do so. And I, I, I do sympathize because my daughter was definitely a trepidatious flyer. She wanted a parent next to her. Uh, there were times that it, because of flight changes or travel changes, um, you get reticketed. Oh, the seats are not exactly together. You're one row in front of me. You're one row behind. No, no, Dad, I really want to. So, I, you, you do what you have to do. You pay what you have to pay to make that happen. You go to the gate agent. You plead your case. Ninety-five percent of the time, they can uh, figure that out, and they will. But you know, you're not. No one's obligated. To give up their seat. Um, and, and to me, this is a little bit like the, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but it's a little bit like the, the people that are saying I'm, I'm obese and the airline should give me extra seats at no charge. No, that, you can have extra seats, but you have to pay for them. If you want an extra seat or extra two seats, I, I, I say that's fine as long as you pay for them. And this is why there are seat assignments. This is why you can go on the American Airlines app or the Delta Airlines website or whatever it is and um, choose your seat assignment because we do have, we're, we're particular, right? Oh, I want a bulkhead seat. Oh, I want an, I want a, uh, you know, what do they call it? A emergency exit row or I don't want one or I like to be in the back or I like to be near the bathroom or whatever. So you just do that. It's 2023. And that's it. 210-599-5555. Stories like this, I think, are um, further indications of how broken uh, we are as a society. And I, I'm going to say again, as I say often, COVID broke us. We're forgetting how to be adults 
people are forgetting how to be just decent with each other. People have, have lost all sense of boundaries and propriety. And like we used to know there, there was an unspoken code, whether you were getting on an airplane or eating at a restaurant or just anything. We're acting like we don't know how to be around each other anymore. And I, I don't know what else to lay that at the feet of other than, well, for a year and a half or two years, we weren't around each other. Although it doesn't seem like we should have forgotten this much this quickly. Uh, what do you think about Tammy and her uh, the way she handled her situation on the plane? 210-599-5555. David is on the Jack Riccardi Show. David, good afternoon. My, my impression from the way Tammy tells the story is that this other mother was acting like her children were, you know, small children who needed supervision, but they weren't. They were like, what, 15, 11? Right. I'm sure they'll be fine sitting by themselves for a couple hours in the plane. You're one row back. like. Yep, yep. And yeah. if it were me and I were in the situation, even if I had my small children, I would have stood outside the aisle or stood up in my seat and waited for the person and said, hey, do you mm -hmm. mind? You don't just assume mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like you said, we, we were away from each other for two years, and everyone forgot how to behave. And, you know, no one's parents are around to smack them upside the head and make them, you know, put on some manners. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can imagine what it must have been like for the rest of the flight because you've got, now you've got this woman, you've never met her in your life, you don't know who she is. And now she's back there griping to her seatmates. Ma imagine about how you. uncomfortable her, yeah. the other people in that row were right. listening to her. Right. It's like being Steve Martin in planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, David, great call. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, tell me what you think about this and how you think she handled it. And and, and have you been in that situation uh, before? Because I, I've been I've been on both sides of this, and I I have. Uh, flying alone, as I usually do, I, I've, I've moved all over airplanes for people. I don't have no problem with that. Again, I just like to have an aisle seat. Um, but I've also been a parent, and I've been angsting about, oh, I really hope we can sit together. So I, I get it. And you can ask people for it. There's nothing wrong with asking. But you have to accept with grace whatever the answer is, I think. Um Randall writes to Jack at KTSA.com. I'm with Tammy. That mother was wrong to just sit in someone's seat. Plain, uh, just plan better next time, uh, writes Randall. I think people assume uh, you're going to say yes to switching. Yeah. I, I've had people just kind of plunk their ass down in the seat like, well, if I'm already in it, maybe he'll let me have it. Um, and I actually do. If you can trade me for an equivalent seat, I think that's a very reasonable system. You know, If you have another aisle seat, I'll take it. Uh, but if you're trying to trade me an aisle seat for a middle seat, what am I stupid? <laughs> I've, you know, I've been making trades since we traded snack in second grade. I know what a good trade is. I've been trading baseball cards all my life. I know what a good trade is. So um, we do seem to be losing the thread of how to how to be around each other. Um, I wanted to play this for you because we we talked about her a little bit last week, and then other things kind of came along um, a week ago tomorrow was the 19th birthday of Chloe Cole. And on her 19th birthday, she was testifying before Congress with what she called a final warning, her words, to stop uh, gender surgery on confused children. 
Chloe was given surgery as a teenager, born a girl, to become male, soon regretted it, has regretted it ever since, needed therapy, not a scalpel. And I want to play this for you because it's really stark and um, it kind of ties into something else I saw in the news today. Cut number five. Listen, listen to Chloe. So what message do I want to bring to American teenagers and their families? I didn't need to be lied to. I needed compassion. I needed to be loved. I needed to be given therapy to help me work through my issues, not affirm to my delusion that by transforming into a boy, it would solve all my problems. We need to stop telling 12-year-olds that they're born wrong, that they are right to reject their own bodies and feel uncomfortable with their own skin. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option, that they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through, just so they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. Today, I should be at home with my family celebrating my 19th birthday, and instead I'm making a desperate plea to my elected, rep my elected representatives, learn the lessons from other medical scandals like the opioid crisis, to recognize that doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. My childhood was ruined along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. Hmm. Um, I, you, you can't say it any better than that. And of course, you can't say it with more credibility than to be someone who has gone through it and been physically and emotionally maimed by it. But one other thing I was thinking about when I listened to this is Chloe Cole is 19 when she's saying that. So she came forward and started talking about this when she was about 17. 17, 18, 19. Do you remember you when you were 17, 18, or 19? Do you remember your ideas about the world? Do you remember what you thought was cool? Who and what you looked up to? Do you remember what you thought was a good-looking hairdo or <laughs> fashion statement? Good Lord. Um, do you remember how awkward you were at that age? I mean, I guess not everybody was, but I think most of us were pretty damn awkward. Maybe shy, maybe gangling, maybe bumbling. Um, it is incredible to me, just absolutely incredible, that Chloe Cole can step forward with poise and eloquence and candor, talking about the most personal stuff. I mean, she's talking about her body and the most private parts of it. She's talking about sexuality. She's talking about family. She's talking about her parents. These are all the hardest things to talk about at any age. And they're damn near impossible to publicly, in front of Congress and on television, talk about when you're in your teens. I, I find it admirable. And at the same time, I, I find it kind of disappointing 
that this isn't kind of a stop the world, we need to listen to this moment. When I think of the people who do stop the world and command our attention, doing the dumbest crap you've ever seen in your life, when I see how easy it is to get likes and follows and clicks and fame by being freaking Meghan Markle, we just want to be left alone. This is who we should be listening to. This is who we should be impressed by. And again, I'm not taking away from what she is warning us about, but it's just pretty incredible to me. I, I just have to take my hat off. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I talk for a living. I'm way past puberty. I couldn't have done this when I was 19. I couldn't have talked about anything like this, anything close to it, with, with one other person, much less a room full of strangers and cameras and microphones. And by the way, people that will parse and ridicule what you're saying. Now, this ties into something I saw today, what Chloe Cole is saying. This was a story at thehill.com. It actually was on their website yesterday. Um, thehill.com, high school boys are trending conservative. A popular narrative suggests young people are liberal and getting more liberal. Thus, social media buzzed when a chart surfaced that seemed to suggest 12th grade boys are becoming overwhelmingly conservative. The numbers do say this, 12th grade boys are nearly twice as likely to identify as conservative versus liberal, according to a respected federal study of American youth. Um, figures respect, uh, re- represent rather a striking shift in the political views of boys as recently as the late 2000s. Liberals occasionally outnumbered conservatives. Uh, Back in the Carter era, both boys and girls lean liberal. Nowadays, it is girls who are drifting to the left. The share of 12th grade girls who identified as liberal rose from 19% in 2012 to 30% in 2022. But young men, whose political leanings for a long time did not change at all, according to an analysis by the Survey Center on American Life, uh, says there is a marked rightward drift with high school boys. I don't pretend to know exactly why, but I could take a guess. You probably could too. I would think that a culture that is uh, degrading men, that is calling masculinity toxic, that is erasing um, the the boundaries and differences between men and women. I would think a culture that's gotten more and more fussy and scoldy about music and language and pronouns, I I think there's just a general F off, if you'll pardon the language, uh, attitude. Like, screw this. And... What's interesting to me is I think you get there anyway when you pass into your 20s, 30s, 40s, but maybe the, the, the woke warriors are, are forcing people into that um, light bulb moment sooner. You know, maybe, 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 you're, maybe people are red-pilling sooner. Maybe it just 
you know, um, they piled it on. It's it's unrelenting. You know, you and I didn't grow up like this. And uh, maybe they're just like, hey, the hell with it. I don't even know if it's necessarily accurate to say they're trending conservative. Like, are these are these all like Ron DeSantis fans? Not probably not. I think it's probably more that they're rejecting and ridiculing as only teenage boys can do. I mean, when you lose them, you've really lost them, right? But they're probably just rejecting and ridiculing wokeism. I think, uh, and that, that's that's just what jumped out at me. And I think uh, I, I kind of I kind of look at Chloe Cole. And what she's saying, and I look at numbers like this, and I've had conversations with uh, friends that have teenagers, and they're like, yeah, my teenagers are more conservative than I am. And I, I, I think I see where this is going. And it really isn't surprising when you take a couple of steps back. Um, they're just, they're fed up. They've been, they've been preached at too many times. They've been uh, lectured too many times. They've been told that they're to blame for stuff that happened before they were born. Hell, that, that happened before their parents were born. And you're, you're going to lose them. I hope, I think. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to It was either yesterday or the day before that we had the uh, the story about uh, the attempted school shooting in Memphis. Now, this is not to be confused with the the terrible mass shooting at the at the church school in Nashville that killed six people, three of them nine year old children, three nine year old children. This was a Hebrew school in Memphis, Tennessee, where the the shooter was foiled by the security itself at the school, by the hardening of the target. Here's the news story, the local TV news story on this event, cut number eight. Memphis police say just after noon today, this man attempted to enter the Margolin Hebrew Academy carrying a gun. There was a male white wearing a green shirt on a property armed with a gun. They say when he failed to get inside, he fired shots outside the school and fled. Thankfully, that school had a great safety procedure and process in place and avoided anyone being harmed or injured at that scene. The school provided police with a photo of the suspect and a description of the vehicle he was driving, a maroon pickup truck with California plates. Officers quickly spotted the vehicle and pulled him over. The suspect pulled the vehicle over. He immediately merged out of the vehicle with a gun in his hand, and that resulted in an officer discharging his duty weapon. That suspect was struck. That suspect has been transported to Regional One Hospital in critical condition. Monday's shooting comes four months after a shooter killed six people, including three nine-year-old children at a school in Nashville. Is it um, fair to ask the question, why isn't this a bigger news story? Obviously, it's a huge story in Memphis. But if we nationalize mass shootings meaning we make them national news stories. And then as part of that, and it's always part of that, we have the national uh, lecture on the need for gun control, 
and the shaming and the finger wagging at us. What's wrong with you people? Why won't you give up your guns? And we say we do all that because we care about children and their safety. Then it should be a big deal that the safety of children was achieved. I'm not saying it is, you know, like it's it's news when a plane crashes, it's not news when a plane lands, but when you when you have made into um a a cause the idea that school shootings mean and can only mean gun control, the only way to stop them is to get the guns, the only way to stop them is for there to be fewer guns. And somebody says, well, look, we stopped one with security. We stopped one by being prepared. Is it wrong to ask why isn't that a, a, a big story, a big deal? One of my favorite people on YouTube, Colleen Noir, thinks it is. And he was saying some of the very same things you and I have said about how if we meant what we say about children, we would protect them the way we protect other things we say we value. Listen to what he had to say, cut number nine. I think it's ridiculous that I even have to make this video about how a school with tight security prevented a school shooting. Every material item we consider valuable in this country is inside a building that has tight security. But for some reason, when it comes to schools, people get stuck on stupid and refuse to secure our schools and instead hyper-focus on gun control. As if we don't already have over 300 million guns in this country. But let me stop acting stupid myself because I know exactly why they have a problem with it. It's because it works. And if tightening the security at our schools works, that means they can't use school shootings to justify more gun mm -hmm. control. Here we have two examples. One school had tight security and the shooter couldn't get in, much less shoot anyone. The other school didn't have tight security and three teachers and three children are dead now. What's sad is that the shooter in that case chose that school because the security was too tight at the school they were initially planning to shoot. There's absolutely no reason why our school shouldn't be the hardest place to commit a shooting in in this country. Yeah, he says a lot of great stuff. He was talking about how one of the old uh, knocks on hardening schools uh, was, well, we don't want them to be prison-like. We don't want them to be grim and have bars on the windows and all that. Well, I, I've never been to a grim jewelry store, have you? I, I've never been to a prison-like premium car dealership, have you? Or a high-fashion clothing store that reminded me of a detention center or a county jail? No, there are creative and high-tech ways to provide virtually impenetrable security and still make things aesthetically pleasing. I, I certainly do agree. We don't want schools to feel grim. I, in fact, I think there's too much of that now. We, we spent two years masking kids and, and putting them in plexiglass cubes. I, I'm for much less of that. So I certainly would not want our schools to be like prisons. But, but that is a lame-ass excuse. For not hardening the target. And so what he's saying, and I agree, and this is sad, this is, this is unfortunate, this is going to be tough to overcome, when we ask the question, 
Why not make the school more secure? Why not harden the target? The problem with that is that the people we are asking to do that don't want to do that. So we're giving them we're giving them the best solution, but they've already placed their chips on another part of the board. They they want gun control. And you can you can show them, you can argue, I think, very persuasively that that's a flawed, much less effective approach. And as he points out, what do you do about the 350 million guns that are already in the country? But that's what they want. So we're, we're thinking about this like they really mean what they say. Our children are the most valuable things we have. Our children are the future. But I think it's clear they don't mean what they say. Um, because the school in Memphis just showed us how to do it. Usually, typically, in the business I'm in, when something is successful, the way you know it's successful is that everybody copies it. So maybe they should copy what was done in Memphis. 210-599-5555. We've got the results coming up here next. We're going to see how you voted. It's a very odd question. Never thought I'd be asking this question. Have you ever called your dad during a business meeting to talk about the weather? See how you voted. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I'm shocked. I really am. I'm amazed. Uh, JR poll today, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Did you ever call your dad during a business meeting to talk about the weather? No. 100%. No one's ever done it. Speaking as a dad, you know, I would, I would take that call. Um, did you see the story in China? There was a, um, remember the guy, remember that we had the story done, what was it, a few days ago, we had the guy that paid $15,000 to ma- have himself made up like a collie? Mm-hmm. That was, was really weird, right? Really yes, creepy? It was. Yes, it was. By the way, he didn't, he didn't have surgery. He had a prosthetic yes. thing made for, okay. In China, there is a zoo that's being accused of, having a fake bear. Chinese zoo forced to deny bear is a human in costume. After video of one of its bears standing on its hind legs went viral, forcing officials to deny it was a human in a costume. I looked at the video. It's it's totally a dude in a bear costume. There's no... Google it. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. there's no way that's a bear. That is a guy dressed up like a bear. Maybe a woman. Be a woman well, when you look at that video, you see the backside of the bear, and it yes. looks there's like these little rolls that of the suit yes. that seems like yes. or creases basically. It's like pants. That's strange. The bear has has like fur pants on. <laughs> I mean, bears don't have two piece fur, right? On a real bear, the the fur is continuous. You don't have like a top and a bottom. Yeah, it's. They might as well have gone to the Spirit of Halloween store and bought the uh, bear costume. Um, The Hangzhou Zoo addressed the allegations in a tweet pretending to be from the bear. The bear is is a girl, by the way, Angela. 
Sorry. How does the bear in China get the name Angela? Does that seem weird to you? Is it just me or what? That doesn't that, even that doesn't sound right. So they tweeted out Angela's denial that she's not really a bear. Quote, some people think I stand like a person. It seems you don't understand me very well. Oh. Women always play that card, don't they? You just don't understand me. Video of the bear going viral. Uh, with even the local newspaper questioning the way the bear is standing. Is it a human in disguise? The zookeepers claim this breed, Malaysian sun bears, just have a different appearance, but are real. Even, I, even I, the I, I do believe it's a person in a bear costume, but then I can't explain why it would be. Like, why would they need to do that, right? What would be, So I, I don't have a motive for the crime. Like, I have no idea why you would put... A person in a bear. They have they have bears, and they have this one bear that doesn't look like a real bear. The other, my other favorite story today, um, the the hypocrisy of the green energy thing is just so delicious. You know, I can't resist a- any time, everywhere I I can find it. Um, the government of Wales is um, big time into the global warming battle. And they proudly rolled out a new fleet of electric garbage trucks. They started transitioning to electric vehicles for garbage in 2021. Uh, and they're very proud of these electric garbage trucks that are riding around in their major cities. But this week, forced to admit that they charged the vehicles using diesel generators. <laughs> so they, they come back to the yard... And they uh, hook them up to a diesel generator. And you know who's operating the diesel generator? Angela the Sun Bear. I'm just saying. It all connects. See you back here live tomorrow at 4.